0: Welcome to the Mike on Much Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. I'm here in studio with our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. And calling in from the road, Los Angeles, California, USA, is our good friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. Max, what's going on in L.A.?
1: Yeah, the band is uh, down here uh, just taking care of some business. we got, I don't know, a couple of meetings, you know, this and that. You know, L.A. stuff. So uh, it's good, though. The weather's awesome. We're... A bunch of us are staying in a house together. We're going out for lots of meals, cruising around town. I can't complain. It's cool. I feel like you're posting a lot, so it feels like there's
0: lots going on.
1: <laughs> yeah. Do, do, does it, do the post feel braggy at all to you guys? Because I'm like, hey, look, I'm in L.A. Is, is it coming off that way to you?
2: Oh, no. Th- you've been doing some funny stuff I've been finding. Like I like the one you did in the plane where you had included like uh, an Asian woman to act like she was part of the band.
1: <laughs> yeah, I thought that was good. Uh, yesterday in the park too. Um, there's there's a really nice park up the street from the house, and I went. For, they have this like public gym, you know, when you have uh, workout equipment that anybody can use. And I was using the stuff because you know you gotta you gotta look good when you're in LA. And then this really adorable old couple uh, started working out next to me, and I documented that. And. Uh, the response, I think 99% of the responses were like, this is the cutest thing I've ever seen. I'm living for this story. Like, this is couples goals. Because I truly thought they were adorable. But then one person said, like, did you get consent from, <laughs> from those people? You're mocking them. You're making fun of them. And I, was, and I was just like, oh, God, like, why do I even bother, you know? You got in trouble for posting the children. Well, well, that was the next thing that happened is that um, – so So, if you didn't uh, follow – if you don't follow Arkells on Instagram, I did a series of, of videos of me at this public park gym m- working out with, at first, uh, these senior citizens, which was very adorable. But then um, – there were these like shortly after these two toddlers came up and started pretending to use the gym or just they probably thought it was like a playground thing uh and i said and i documented them so it was kind of a funny juxtaposition from old people to young people and i just said everybody works out in la again i think people seem to like it uh at least based on the feedback but then i got a message i think from a pod listener saying like you really need to get consent from the parents if you're going to film toddlers Mm. and at that point i was like you know what you know what, I'm going to just throw my phone in the fucking pool, because <laughs> why bother? <laughs> and, but then I was like, oh, maybe maybe I'm, uh, you know, overreacting here. And I, so, you know, I think context is important. It wasn't like I was creepily filming a bunch of three-year-olds. It was like, it was for a comedic bit. Um, wh- what do you guys make of this as, as as parents? Well,
2: I think it might even be creepier if you walked up to the parents and said, do you mind if I film your children? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's setting yourself up for a more awkward position and these kids it's not like you were just hopped the fence at a daycare right these kids are <laughs> these kids are out out and about and uh, they're in public and there's kind of like a, an agreement when you're in public that you could be filmed without your consent That's kind of like if you're doing a Streeter segment, you don't really need to even get the consent forms. It's advised to be, but if you're not making fun of anyone, it's kind of like a free-for-all.
0: Yeah. um, I
2: I guess what's the ideology that some creep is going to say, oh, there's a couple of kids at a park. I'm going to find out where those (laughs) kids are and get them. Every creep knows, though, kids are at parks. (laughs) Just hang out at any park. It's, <laughs> it's no more likely uh, to steal a Max Kerman promoted child than any other child.
0: Right? <laughs> I, I, well, I guess the question is, would it be weird for you if somebody was filming your kid? If it was an innocent little joke. If if it was But like, how do you know the difference if someone just got their camera pointed at your kid? Like, how do you know what's a joke and what's not a joke? Like,
2: I was just in Vegas and there's so many kids there. People yeah. are taking photos of Lucy all the time because my daughter likes to walk up to other kids and like play with their toys and like touch them and make noises at them so a parent will come up and go and take a a picture that dad could be a total pervert i don't know but i'm thinking that they're just doing it because lucy's playing with their child and uh, vice versa like i'm taking pictures of lucy hugging another kid and stuff like that right so i don't know whether you ask or not it doesn't make you more perverted or less
0: Oh, no. I mean, well, that's the thing. You would, you would never know the intent. I'm just saying if, you're at a par- if your kids are playing at the park and you're kind of like, you know, looking at your phone and you look up and me- if somebody's just kind of got their phone at them and you go, wait a second, are they filming the kid? It is weird. Well, maybe, but watch your kid. It's weirder to be looking at your phone if you're at a park with your kid. You at- know what I'm saying. Like the idea that like even if you're watching your kid and then somebody's 10 feet away and you're not watching that person, you're watching your kid and then you notice somebody's filming them. Th- it is weird. You probably say something, don't you think?
2: If it was Max, though i would just say tag at this family tree
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'd say that um to mike's point like sure it's like out of context like if nobody knew who the fuck i was and didn't understand the comedic bit that i was going for in my instagram stories sure i could totally understand why you know danica would come up to me in the park in la going like who are you and why is your phone out looking totally totally understand that um they were with their nanny, then the nanny didn't seem to care. Number one. <laughs> but number two, you know, in the context of the of the iG story, it's like it it felt like pretty innocent, but the, but here's the thing. the thing I struggle with, ultimately, is that I would never want to cause anybody pain or discomfort, especially uh, when it comes to just like a very silly thing. Um, but this is, you know, when it comes down to, I don't know, state of, not that I'm a comedian because I'm definitely not a comedian, but when it comes down to kind of doing anything in a public way, are you at risk of putting someone in pain? Right? Like, and that is, I think the plight of a lot of comedians or the plight of any public person. It's like, is something that you do or project out into the world going to trigger somebody or makes, i triggers a, um, a buzzword. I don't want to use that word, but like, is it going to cause somebody, Pain. And, and I would never want to do that either. So I don't know. It, but so when I would joke about like, hey, you know, what? I'm just going to throw my phone into the pool because like, you know, like I did a, a series of tweets that actually got a lot of attention on uh, Twitter the other day about people reclining on their seats on on planes, and how I just don't think it's appropriate. And the feedback again, I think was like ninety seven percent in favor of it. But then somebody else was like, "You're a douchebag. Fuck this band." And I was just like, "Okay, you know what? Like this. The point was not to. The point was just to have a little bit of fun in a public way. And I clearly offended somebody. And then I go, okay, despite the fact that a bunch of people kind of seem to enjoy these musings, there's somebody else who like, you know took it in a negative way and, you know, didn't appreciate it. And then I go, okay, well, was that, was there a point to that? And I I don't know. I don't know the answer. What do you guys think? It makes you not want to
0: try. It's like everything you do is going to upset somebody. And like, yeah, I mean, I guess that's like what you did knowing the con like, your joke was fine as far as like, you know, everybody works out in LA, including these two little kids that are crawling around the, the workout gear from your Insta post. Um, so it's like, it is an innocuous post. I'm just saying like, I do, I get the idea that it might be weird for an outsider to, to, to film somebody's kid. Do you know what I mean? I to- no no, I totally
1: agree with that. I totally agree with that.
2: I think it's weirder to film than it is when you, when you don't know how the person's using it. So if I saw how you used it Then I would be like, oh, that's fine. That's just an innocent little joke, which is weird that people who are actually seeing how you used it and that you set it up with this old person bit, uh, Mm -hmm. that they had a problem with it. And why are we allowed to film people's grandparents, but not kids? Why Why aren't people scared of their grandma being on camera? Well, I guess someone yeah. was. I guess someone was
0: too. <laughs> right? You you opened with someone was. You've offended everybody uh, in your short time in Los Angeles, Max.
1: Well, I'll say this: I'll say that the user feedback, if we're going on a Rotten Tomato store score, was ninety nine percent. You know, uh, I'm only trying to get that one hundred percent rating. But anyway, moving on. Um, L. A. has been great. Uh, what's what's been going on with you guys, uh, Mike? Let's uh, let's get into the topics.
0: All right. Well, okay. we got a few things to talk about. Uh, this is actually kind of uh, related. We're going to talk a bit about TIFF, but before we get to TIFF, uh, another thing that involves movies is The Pedestal, the podcast that Shane and myself and John Poplis do. Uh, you can go check out The Pedestal feed. We have two seasons full of movies. We are working on more movies. We actually recently recorded The Matrix, but there will be another one up in our feed on Friday. We missed last Friday. I get it. I know. It's because I was posting. Erica was gone. It didn't go up, but that just means you're going to get an extra week of, uh, of Pedestal because we missed last week. Uh, so there'll be more movies going going up on our feed, but like I said, always go over to the other feed if you want to check out the other 20 films that we have done on that podcast that segues into movies. We did a TIFF this weekend, Max. We haven't actually had a podcast uh, since you and I went to that E1 party, which uh, which was great. I did go to see a couple premieres. Uh, the one we discussed uh, on the last episode was the Adam Sandler uh, film, Uncut Gems, uh, which Shane unfortunately missed out on because he was still in Vegas. Uh, but it was cool. I mean, like, Adam Sandler was there. Kevin Garnett was there because he's in the film. The Weeknd was there because he's also in the film.
2: What, what Did Sandler oh, uh, say any words at the end of the movie? Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they bring them all out. So basically, you go to these premieres. It was at the princess of wales theater so it's in this nice theater uh before the movie plays um the moderator brings out the two directors and then they introduce the cast and so they, they had like a lot of people from the cast there um and then everyone gives them a big round of applause and then they walk off stage then they start the movie and then you see them sort of bring the cast out to watch the movie they'll seat them or whatever it was like kind of like a big premiere uh and then after the film ends the directors come back out with the moderator and then they bring the whole cast out again. And then it's a Q and A. So the audience gets to ask questions. Uh, actually our friend, Mark Myers asked a question, which I get to it a second, but um, <laughs> yeah, it was cool because like, um, I don't know, anytime you like kind of get to experience something like that, it's just, you know, we talk about this on the pod all the time is how lucky we are that we get to sort of do these cool things. But it was like it was also Adam Sandler's birthday that night. So people were like they tried to sing him happy birthday from the crowd and they kind of did a big uh, the, the directors got everyone to say happy birthday, Sandman. So it was like there's just sort of this like unique energy. Um Yeah. Anyway, Kevin Garnett. It was cool to see him off the top. I will say this, though. They brought them all out at the start. But then at the end, Garnett and The Weeknd weren't part of the cast at the end. Because I I assume they didn't hang around for the movie and went to whatever party because there was a big cast party after and all that stuff. But um, yeah, it was cool. So everybody's asking questions. And what always happens whenever somebody asks questions in one of these fucking Q and A's is it's like, it's a lot of filmmakers in the crowd or aspiring filmmakers or creatives. And it's like, before they even ask the question, there's always like a full minute piece, either like admiring. (laughs) Oh boy. You know what I'm talking about. Like like they'll, they'll be like, you know, I've I've admired you since um you shot the like you haven't done a serious role that, that really resonated since um the PT Anderson film, Punch Drunk Love and you know, they'll kind of try to prove their acumen, their film acumen, in yeah. the body of the question before they just get to the question, which is like what's your process for prep in a serious role? But it's like that can be the question. You, we don't have to do the full minute. But I also understand this is their moment. They get to <laughs> They get to ask Adam a question, Adam Sandler a question. So I, I do have a lot of empathy for people to do that. But I feel like the crowd always has like a collective like when it starts going too long. Uh,
2: I I agree with that uh, approach, but I've done it the opposite way and got booed. I've talked about this before. There's this Canadian director. He's really amazing. His name is Xavier Dolan. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe the movie was called like How I Killed My Mother or something. And I was there and it was the kid was like 19 at the time. The film looked amazing. And if I was doing the typical question thing, I'd be like, I've always been fascinated by filmmaking. There was a time in my life I thought I was going to be a filmmaker. Uh, I I recently put $30,000 into this short film, and it Ended up looking like shit, and I thought that was a lot of money for me. I was just wondering what was the budget for this film, which looks very beautiful. But I was like, I don't want to do this whole preamble because I'm sick of it, and it takes away time from other people wanting to ask questions. So I just said, "Hey, what's the what was the budget?" (laughs) And and that's a huge no-no. Like you don't, like they don't like it. But if I did the preamble, it would have been very sweet and softened the question.
0: So people booed that question. Oh yeah,
1: that's hilarious. And then he. Well, no, I think you're totally right though. Like. uh, yeah, I think a good question offers a little bit of context. But I think what Mike is getting at is like that person who clearly just like wants to be, you know, Barbara Walters or something. And you're just like, you're not Barbara Walters. You are literally just a fan in the crowd. So stop making this about you and get on with it. Do you but I
2: mean? still, the question sounds a little too blunt. Like, what did the end question end? Of the I,
1: what's your process for a serious movie compared right. to like that a comedy movie? That sounds much more
2: boring than have you with, without the preamble. Like, I find any anyone who's
0: asking a question will try to add way more flours so they don't seem like a dum-dum. Yeah, you know what? You, you, you do make a good point, but sometimes they'll be like... When they go too far into their history of making a film, yeah. it, it can be very, like... People aren't interested in that person's history But in you're your saying if it helps frame it For the artist on stage like then if It's
2: just like hey what's your process It's like that's the most average question Yeah but most people ever. go
0: listen so I've been acting for 15 years um, On stage I've been in some films and I've always found That with process uh, comedy and drama are, are pretty similar with my process And then they'll go on and then they'll be like And now Adam how did <laughs> you find your process mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean but it's yeah. like we don't really need to know But about- to
2: me that actually helped the question does it? A little bit because he? you've told Adam that you want to know the difference between comedy and drama. You're not just saying the process for this dramatic film. Right. You're, he's going to say what he does for comedy. Yeah. He's going to say what he does for drama. And he's probably going to give you a little bit more eye contact and attention. Yeah. I, I do get I get both sides of it, but I've been on the wrong side of that. Sure. So I, now if I was to do it again, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to give a mini annoying backstory
0: It's just here. the other thing too is when people spend – two minutes in the windup it actually takes away questions from everybody else in the audience
2: i agree if it takes two minutes you know it's like you gotta split the here? difference yeah. and find that healthy balance
0: totally so what was happening in this q a uh which 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 was good and um is so there's two two other female uh leads in the movie adina uh, menzel and i'm blanking on the other actor's name it was her first film i think but they uh so they're on stage and nobody was asking them any questions like all the questions were for the directors or Adam Sandler and this always happens you mm-hmm. see this happen uh Judd Hirsch was on stage and he didn't get asked one question the whole the whole night i was going to just throw in like a taxi question or a dear john question but uh, i didn't think that those would really hit with the crowd but um Myers is sitting next to me, to my left. I brought our, our good friend Mark Myers, directed our Kell's videos with Shane, uh, and he's going like we're both saying we're like, man, no one's asking the women any questions, and he's like, Mike, ask ask them a question. I'm like, I don't want it. Like we're right on the front of the balcony. I'm like. I don't feel, even though like we, on this podcast, I ask people questions all the time in like a one-on-one interview. I just had a real like aversion to like putting my hand up and being like, hi, blah, 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 and asking a question. I was like, oh, Marky, I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to ask a question. I'm like, I'm like, I don't even feel like, like, what am I going to ask them? I don't know enough about their collective history to like, sort of like, like, like it would have to be so generic or something. And Mark's like. I'm, I'm going to ask a question. I have to ask these women a question because nobody's asking a question. It's getting uncomfortable. And I'm like, I- I'm with you or whatever. So he puts his hand up. We're in the balcony. The moderator calls on Mark. And Mark has been on IMDb. He's actually looked up both the actors so that he could have like a little bit of frame in while other people were answering. And then he stands up and he actually does... <laughs> He's like he's like uh, I-, I just wanted to say um, great film uh, this this is going to be directed to the the, the two uh, women um, because you you both were, were so amazing to- in your performances and he sort of like really starts to butter mm-hmm. them up and I think the crowd appreciated that no one else was asking them questions and then uh, I actually can't even totally remember what his-, his question was but it was good too much it- of a preamble yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> I remember the preamble, not the question but they did you could tell both appreciate sort of like getting that spotlight on both of them and i don't think if mark had asked the question it would have ever got really around to them because everybody just wanted to talk to the director and adam sandler or whatever and there was there's like four other actors on the stage
1: and also M- mark is also so hot that i'm sure the women were like yes <laughs> like not a so creepy dude and it's like this guy is like the hottest guy in toronto like good yeah. for us yeah so that sure. was that was an
0: interesting film uh and then on tuesday night uh the nut took me as his date to see the biopic judy about judy garland
1: oh (laughs) starring renee zellweger i I, I heard you guys uh i heard you guys were partying with renee zellweger after the after the show that's true that's true yeah you get all the the, uh, info
0: so what happened was uh so this film um (laughs) a little preamble the nut like about a month ago when the trailer came out for this like he put it in the the, the Champagne Boys message group. Do you guys remember this? He throws the trailer and he goes, "Doesn't this look amazing?" or something like that, or something about the Oscars. And he was genuinely excited to see this film, which which was a little bit weird to as me. As was I though. I come from a big Judy Garland family. <laughs> I, I'm not even joking. My
2: my mom and grandpa are obsessed with her, so I always was like watching little docs on her and uh, learning about her life, and I always found it fascinating.
0: Yeah. So I and I was just interested to see this because people are sort of positioning this as Renee. Zellweger's like big sort of comeback. She's been a little bit quiet the last few years. Um, so she was in the house. Uh, it, they shot it. I don't, I'm not sure where they shot it, but it's a British production. So it was like a British director, British producer. It's it's sort of your classic biopic. Like it kind of hits all the notes that you would expect. It's a little like, um, what's the word? Like, uh, I don't want to say like, cliche or tropey at points but I think that's what those biopics are people want them to hit the notes right like I I loved the Elton John movie I would even say even that had moments where you're like okay we're at this point of the biopic where it has to do this and it does this but the ending was so damn strong that there was not in that theater like a dry eye in the house like the nut was bawling like you could hear people openly sobbing at the in the at the end of the film and uh and i was i got my eyes got a little bit wet i wasn't as emotional as other people but i was like okay they like they've really they really sort of closed this off perfectly uh so then the movie ends, the credits start rolling, they bring the cast out again, obviously Renee comes last, she gets a standing O, and you always hear these stories about how like at Cannes or Cannes or, or Venice uh, film festivals, that it's like, oh, like whatever film, like the, the Tarantino had a 15 minute standing ovation, and you're like, do people really stand for 15 yeah, minutes? Yeah, I so always wonder weird. if that actually happened shit you not, it was like a five minute standing O. So I finally experienced what it's like. So what happens is she comes out, everybody stands up and they applaud for her performance. She was phenomenal as Judy. I would be shocked if she didn't get nominated for an Oscar. Um, And so they give her the standing O. I'm like, okay, we're standing. And then the minute the standing O starts to slightly die down, it roars up again. Hmm. And then it kind of, and then it roars up again. And it's almost like, it's almost like the audience's way of saying like, no, this isn't just a standard standing O. Like your performance was exceptional. So it's like, we're standing there clapping for like almost five minutes. It's great. Then wow. uh, so they give Renee the mic, and she was so fucking charming. Like she was so. It's funny too because like her speaking voice is very like kind of like Midwest, and as Judy Garland, she had a completely different voice. So it was just interesting that it was
1: sort of made you appreciate mm-hmm. the 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 skill level in the acting. Hey, Mike. Yeah. With with the standing ovation, um, did it feel like? Forced, or was there truly that much like energy in the room that people couldn't help themselves but keep hooting and hollering and, and clapping because they were just like so taken by the performance? Like, you see, that just like you know when, I, when we saw the one of the final tragically hip shows, it was like people would have clapped literally for days. You know, what I mean, yeah, like, it w- like because there's truly that much excitement in the room. Uh, how, how how does it work uh, in a movie? Uh, like did it did it was the momentum just that that strong
0: yeah because like literally like the movie the movie finishes and because it's such like a, an emotional ending you're 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 already sort of like um In a state. And then so when, you know, the actor, when the actress comes out, it's like, you really do appreciate her. And it's like a film loving crowd. This is Tiff. It's like people have either paid like money to get in here. They have like waited in line for tickets. Like these are movie lovers. And I think people appreciated sort of the, the level of skill uh, that she sort of took to the craft. So I would say if it was just the standing O and then we kind of sat down and settled in for her Q and A, that would have been like, Mm. we, we respect it. We appreciate it. But that felt incredibly genuine because everybody was already emotional so then, like, standing there and really sort of giving her the bravo that she deserved for the the performance felt like I've never been a part of that. Like, I thought it was pretty special and genuine for sure. And I'm, like, I'm not a cynic, but I, I definitely am, like, always fascinated the construct of these things. So, like, I'm always kind of overthinking these situations. And to me, it felt very, very genuine. I mean, like, yeah, the nut didn't. He was beside me. Like, I, he was beaming. Like, he just watched, like, a child of his, like, graduate from high school. He, I've never seen him before. <laughs> more moved and proud. Um, but she was super charming in her Q&A. She was t- she was like, you're, you're, you know, you're making me cry. She talked about how Toronto, she's like, I love this town. She's like, I'm not just saying that. She's like, I've been coming to this festival since the 90s. And it, she was just like, she was so like funny and down to earth. And then like people had actually really good questions in that Q&A, I will say, um, about craft, about Judy Garland, uh, about portraying somebody who's real. And she like, I would listen to a podcast with her because I thought she was great. And um I don't think I've ever heard on a podcast. I don't. I don't think she's ever done them.
1: Yeah, I can't recall.
2: Did she have that uh, lemon squeezy? Like you know, she looks like she ate a lemon all the time, right? But then there was allegations she had like eye opening surgery. Were her eyes open or was it that classic (laughs) lemon look?
0: She looked. She looked like herself, but Mm. but a little bit older. And it's like you know, like what's my idea of Renee Zellweger? Like Jerry Maguire? Do you know what I mean? So it's like or Bridget Jones? Like that was like twenty years ago, Bridget Jones or whatever it was now. So it's like, it's like. it's hard to tell the difference, but I certainly remember what you're talking about, the controversy when she sort of people were Well, because she totally changed her appearance her for look, a brief yeah.
2: period. Like, she almost looked, looked like Kristen Wig for a bit. Yeah. But then I saw a picture, and I was like, oh, she has that lemon look again that I, I, I kind of like.
0: Yeah. So, like, again, we were in the balcony, so, like, for the Q&A and all that, it wasn't up close. But then, again, the power of the nut, as per usual, he's like, he's like, oh, yeah, he's like, if you can hang around, he's like, there's a cast after party uh, around the corner from the theater if you if you want to go. I'm like, shit. I'm like, my kids already sleeping. I'm like, I haven't had dinner yet. I'm like, let's do it. So we go to this party. Uh and it's funny cuz we get there like whatever, like the movie screened at 6 whatever 30. It's finished by like 8:39. So you go and everybody like there's like certain people filling in from the theater cuz it's all people that had either been to the screening or people that are directly involved with the film, the producers, whatever. So it's like we get there, we grab a drink, we kind of Grab this sort of table, but we see that there's little like like a uh, table set up in this place. It's kind of like a nice. Um, how do I describe this place. It wasn't like a bar. It was like an event space, but like intimate, small. And so they had like couches and tables set up in different corners. And one is like uh, it has the little name place where it's like reserved for Renee Zellweger or whatever, and it's a, a nice spot. So we're hanging out, and then there's kind of like a murmur, like, "Oh, is she actually going to come and hang out at the after cast party? Like, who knows?" Other members of the cast come in, they sit down. So we're like, okay, we see the director come in, producer come in. We're like, okay, they're like here. Like, you know, they're gonna celebrate this. They have Judy Garland posters everywhere. All the music was Judy Garland music. Um, amazing hors-, hors d'oeuvres, all this, everything you would imagine for a fucking like, swanky after movie party.
2: Are you almost annoyed that you're like, okay, this is a little bit Judy overkill? We just <laughs> sat through this movie. Now it's like. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like when you go to a concert and you listen to that band all the way to the drive there, (laughs) then you go to the concert, and then you're almost done with that band for like a week.
0: Yeah. Uh, No, it felt fun. It felt really fun to be a part of it. Like, uh, we, we get to go to stuff like this. Like, we've been lucky enough just working in the industry. But it's like, these ones, this one felt like elite. Like, it felt intimate and small and like... You know, the nuts super connected. So it was like, I was just happy to kind of have drinks. And I was like, I wonder if Renee's going to show up. And uh, that was kind of the buzz hilariously. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, eh, as long as they keep serving the vodka sodas, it doesn't really matter. But there she came. There was like kind of like a murmur. And then at the top of the stairs, like, and she walked up two flights of stairs because there's no elevator at this swanky place. And then she like came walking in, like people were doing like photos with her. She was taking photos. She was like so like just kind of warm and open to people. So then she like where the nut and I were standing, she walks by. Goes, sit down, does her thing. Um, and actually, Max, uh, Scott Hellman was there.
1: Okay. Nice.
0: He, he was there with somebody, and he was like, it felt like he was kind of hovering around Renee's. Kind of, you know how like so then everyone sits down in their their sort of VIP section, yeah, and then there's people that will kind of like hover near the VIP section. Yep, it felt like he was kind of gradually <laughs> trying to get closer and closer so that he could have his like moment with Renee. I do not know how that turned out, but I just I took note of it and thought that it was like ah, oh. it's like, a classic move. Everybody does, yeah, it, to some extent. <laughs> like, yeah, you know what? We were drinking kind of by the door to to mm-hmm. people watch as they came in, so I'm not I'm not judging too harshly. Mm-hmm. But then once Renee was there. <laughs> Uh, you know, we're sitting down. We're having a drink now, and Renee's kind of doing her own thing. She actually was taking selfies in front of one of the Judy Garland uh, posters. Hmm. Yeah, it was. So she was mm. kind of really into the vibe. of Was the she
2: crunked at it at all?
0: No, I know. I no, not that I'm aware of. Mm. I didn't even see if she had a drink. Actually, I wasn't like watching her too hard or being a creep. Hmm. I just kind of did. You, you know. get a photo with her? No. So what happened was then we're sitting there and the nut is going. Go get a photo with her. You have to go get a photo with her. I'm like, I'm not going to go up and ask for a photo. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I just yeah, it's feel... not
2: Blake Griffin. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Blake was like out of bar amongst the people. She yeah. had her. She was in her VIP. Area. I wasn't gonna like. I wasn't gonna enter her space. If she, if she, I happened to be beside her at the bar, I don't know. I might even. I might have said something. I don't know if I would ask for a mm-hmm. photo with her. I don't know. It just didn't feel like the right. Everyone was it takes courage. Up. It's that's hard to do. It was it was a fancy fucking kind of thing too. Uh, But then my brother, who his favorite movie or one of them is Jerry Maguire, and he like loved Renee Zellweger. Mm -hmm. We're in like a text group, and he's like, "Your brother won't do a photo with Renee Zellweger." He's being a chicken. My brother's like, "He's like, fucking do it." He's like, "You have to." And anyway, so then that becomes a whole thing, and I'm like, "I'm not doing Mm -hmm. the photo," so I didn't get my photo with Renee Zellweger. uh, So I'm, I I like her. I'm I'm a big fan now after listening to her in the Q and A, and and sort of, uh, I'd love to have her on a podcast just because she, you never know if an actor like that is going to be sort of like introspective and sort of super self-aware and sort of like open and, and understanding of the conversation. And it was like, she was all of those things and very, very, very charming.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's mm. very cool. Very
0: cool. Cool night. So that was, that's my TIFF. Unless something else falls into my lap, that's kind of my TIFF experience, I guess, as they say.
1: Yeah. I, I will say TIFF is an awesome time though. Like I kind of forgot, cause I feel like we haven't been around maybe the last couple of years or really... had a chance to take it in but the fact that like you know the streets are all closed off and there's all these celebrities in town i know this is like old news but i'm like ah it's actually kind of fun and the weather was generally pretty good lots of parties so tiff forever long live tiff
2: yeah i have tickets to i don't think i can go but a bruce springsteen premiere for his movie wow Wow, crazy yeah and bruce is going to be there
1: apparently and he's going to
2: like Play a song or something,
1: but but you hate Bruce, right? Like you, you always you're <laughs> yeah, just way too well, long. You're like, get me out of here. He's been going for four hours. This sucks. That, that's no, your take, right?
2: I, I, I honestly, I said that to uh, Birchall because people who know Bruce know well, once he gets on the stage, he doesn't leave. <laughs> he just stays up there, and especially if he's singing a song, he'll be like, I, I know what you guys want. Another song, <laughs> and then he'll do an encore, and it's like, where's the movie? And I've got to get back to Hamilton, so I don't. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) I think I can bear a Bruce Springsteen performance and the documentary is probably way too long, too. And I'm not uh, obviously a big fan, as Max
1: knows. Fair enough. All right, Shane, uh, tell us about Vegas.
2: Oh, you said that was the end. I thought we are going to
1: a topic here.
0: Yeah, we had Bill Burr, Max. Oh, oh,
1: save it to the end. Okay, let's talk about Bill Burr. Let's talk about Bill Burr. Stick to the damn yeah, schedule. You, Bill Burr. Hit it.
0: <laughs> Max. <Matt>, so, <laughs> Max, so for our listeners, Max, like we always say in our pod uh, text group, we're always coming up with topics. And you'd say, have you guys seen the Bill Burr special? Let's talk about it on the pod. Both of you watch it. So, as homework, Shane and I both watched it individually last night.
1: And I was very pumped for this. Uh, yeah, I love your opinion on comedy specials, both of you, because you guys are both uh, students of the art itself. and. And and like you know, we talked about Chappelle. I think was it the last episode? Yeah, uh, yeah. And this movement of comedians sort of lashing out at PC culture, and I just find it all very fascinating, especially in 2019. So uh, yeah, what do what
2: did you guys think of it? Maybe I came in too high expectations because the nut was messaging everyone we knew that it was amazing, like he's really going for it. It's like, I thought I was gonna see something very, very cool and unique and risky. And then um, my other friend messaged me about it, how great it was. So I, I was very excited. Like uh, I watched two episodes of Succession and I was like, we. Ha- I told my wife, I was like, we have to watch this right now. It's gonna be awesome. So she was pumped too. I think we both like Bill Burr. So we put it on and then just five minutes in, I was like, oh, this is a little hacky and not even shocking, because it's almost lame, I find, to make fun of, like, PC culture right now. It feels so tired. Mm-hmm. And I'm the things that are more shocking or funny are, like, when he gets into, like, his relationship with his wife. And yeah. Stuff like that, I, I'm always more interested in. when you, If you can find a, an interesting take on that.
0: or Like, w- what do you think, Mike? I, I, I completely agree. Like, I was kind of surprised. Like, that first five, ten minutes, whatever, when he's kind of doing voices about people that are, like... Uh, triggered and all this mm-hmm. stuff he's kind it, it felt very like Oh, what's the joke? Is it just like that he's exasperated that it's like, and you can't say anything in 2019. It's like, is that the take? It felt like it was like, mm. an, uh, we were listening to like an uncle at Thanksgiving.
2: Yeah. And you're like, okay, I will tolerate him. And it's funny how boisterous he is, but uh, his ideas are a little dated.
0: Yeah. But, but, but I hung around cause like, like, you know, I was going to watch the whole thing. So we talked about it and I would say about halfway through or whatever it is. I'm not quite sure. He actually started to go in some really mm-hmm. funny shit. I thought. Insanely, he has a whole bit about sex robots, and we did our podcast before his special came out. Yeah, but it was kind of. Very similar, talking about sort of like the, the same themes between relationships and how it's like you're not going to maybe even need a partner if you have a sex robot who will never challenge you. Like he literally yeah. did a whole stand-up routine based on the premise we discussed, which I thought really hit. Like I thought it was like such a strong bit. I thought the stuff about watching the Elvis special with his wife, I was into all that mm-hmm. shit, you know. Uh, even the giving away the dog was like a really, really sweet sort of way to, to, to wrap it up and sort of explain – why he is the way he is and sort of like this whatever uh, typical sort of suppressed man with his emotions and he doesn't want to sort of let them out, but he acknowledges sort of the more healthy way to sort of deal with your emotions. All that stuff was insightful and fucking funny, but I would honestly say to your point, I didn't laugh out loud until 35 minutes in. So I was kind of surprised.
1: Yeah. The, the thing which I always find fascinating about um, you know how comedians are perceived, uh, you know, especially as the culture evolves, is that... Burrs stand up. This special didn't seem any different or any more unhinged uh, or going for it than any of his previous specials. And I agree that like the material off the top half like wasn't as strong or I didn't um, you know it didn't seem as insightful as as his other stuff. And I don't think it compared to some of his previous specials. But I always just find it interesting how because Bill Burr has been a guy who's been pretty celebrated by the media. And by uh, I think comedians will always love Bill Burr. But when it comes to like people who write about comedy and review comedy, I think Bill Burr has been like one of these guys that has been grinding away for decades and he's clearly like one of the best at it. But uh, I can imagine a comedy reviewer who writes for The New York Times or The Atlantic or. You know Vox or whatever, saying this guy kind of sounds like he's he's like turned alt right, or that he's this guy sounds kind of like a conservative comedian. And a lot of the things he's saying, I can imagine a lot of people, a lot of Republicans or people that are a little frustrated with liberals, would go, yeah, this guy's kind of speaking my language. The thing which is interesting about all this is that it's not any different than what he was saying five years ago. Really, like the premise of all of his jokes kind of started the same place. So I always just find that dynamic to be really interesting. That a thing I think Louis is another example of this, of, of a guy who was like celebrated by you know the coastal elites and then isn't. Uh, even even though the material I think is pretty similar. Would you guys agree with that? I think
2: that uh, Louis just was way better at this type of material and he would he would really find the truth in the bit and it wouldn't just be like "eh, shut up you're too sensitive which is kind of Bill Burr's thing at least at this special where Louis would say something totally shocking and then back it up and deconstruct it and then explain it to you why he comes to this conclusion. And at the end of it, you'd be like, yeah, that, that is that is very funny. And even if it's wrong, there is a lot of truth in your wrongness there. And it's making me laugh, even though I'm feeling naughty about laughing. Whereas Bill Burr really felt like an old angry man. Well, he's always been an old angry man. So I, I don't disagree that Louis might be a better comedian than Bill Burr. Bill Burr, like he was good when he was finding the, the good pockets, where it was kind of like what I was just saying about Louis when he was talking about how women, when they say no, they don't always mean no. Because at first you're like, hey, what oh, the- sure. that's crazy. What are you talking about? And then he explains what he means, and then he does uh, like, I don't want to ruin it, but court, you know what I mean? It, it gets yeah. it, he does just it in a really it, yeah. funny way that had me, like at first, like, ah, uh, my guard's up on this one. And then, like, oh, and then it was like, oh, and then it was like, oh, and then it was like, oh, that is really funny. And I like going through that process rather than just the joke being this outrageous line, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to uh, bulldoze you over with my boisterousness. Mm-hmm. But that's the way I feel about him. I feel like Louis was like the master. And like his whole show would just be taking me on this like journey of me being surprised and offended and then not offended and then come to like some sort of realization. Whereas this was just mm-hmm. all surface.
1: What did you think of? Did you, did you enjoy the special though, Maxie? Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with um, with everything you guys said. That It got better in the back half. The, the first part was definitely like I think meant to be just like more shocking but all the stuff like that is lame it's not shocking that stuff is
0: so hack now don't you find that I think it's I think it's I think it's provocative in the sense that
1: trying to be provocative though but without yeah. actually being yeah also the, the like the premise and the setup of some of the jokes like like the Michelle Obama thing I was like you're not really get it it's like his whole she's like she's going on tour for not having a job and you're like well any any smart person would go. Actually, there's a lot of responsibilities. Uh, you know, when you're Michelle Obama and you're you're taking the first lady position really seriously. So it's like the, the premise of that joke wasn't good. The other thing I thought is is interesting that's happening right now is just you know I follow Chris Rock on Instagram and he's and he's posting about like the new Bill Burr special and it's interesting just to see how most comedians have sort of banded together on this one. There's like this real fraternity uh, or family, I should say, of you know, comedians that just go like, we are, you know, going to stick together, uh, you know, as as people get upset with us, basically.
2: Well, they're fighting for the state of comedy more than they're fighting
0: for how good his special is. And they're they're also friends totally. with him.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Yeah. They want to retain their right to say whatever they want and be provocative. And by the way, that is their right. Like when, when they talk about cancel culture, you know, that was a big part of Chappelle's special where he's like, everybody's getting canceled now. You can get canceled for any reason. It's like, that's not really true. That's almost more of an abstract idea than the things that they're railing against. It's like mm-hmm. Bill Burr, Bill Burr's audience is going to show up no matter what he said in that, that special. Because he's obviously speaking to them and he's sort of doing what people pay to see Bill Burr do. It's like when you say he's getting canceled, what does that mean? He's not going to get invited to the Oscars or he's not going to get a sitcom on ABC? It's like that, that wasn't happening anyway. So I don't really quite know what they mean. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. We've talked about this before. Like A comedian regardless of their stance, and there are there are, there, are, there are right-wing mega comedians. There's all sorts of people. It's like, if there's a market for you, you will work. Do you know what I mean? And so yeah. I, I, so when, when they're like, we need to stand up for comedians because we're getting canceled. I guess they're just meaning certain opportunities are getting canceled, like mass movies, or maybe you won't be in a children's movie, or maybe you don't get to be the voice of Donkey in Shrek, or whatever it is. But it's like, You'll be able to apply your trade as long as your audience sticks with you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I guess they're
2: just referring to Louis Louis C.K. Sure, who got, got in the he was in the eye of the storm for the Me Too movement, right? Right, he's someone that doesn't work the same, and his audience isn't following
0: him around. Yeah, but Louis committed a crime. These guys are just saying provocative things.
2: Well, know? I don't think Louis did commit a crime, and right. I think he just did something that a lot of people find disgusting and immoral. There was no even like potential for him to be in trial like it was just like the court of public opinion which is probably even more damaging to him than any punitive things he'd get in court
0: yeah i, I mean like I guess, I guess what i'm saying is it's like if you're if you're like they're saying like if, if you use the wrong language it's like the idea that Chappelle or burr would go away do you know what right I
2: mean? I, yeah okay like, so Louis his was perpetrate. more yeah. a- actions than, than exactly
0: s- Thoughts Outside of comedy Personal behavior But anyway I think that's kind of like uh, The whole state of everything is weird And I get why comedians are saying like Wow like we can't even make jokes anymore But I mean Other people would say Well small price to pay but, but this is this is why we're a republic made up of a million different opinions, though, and it ends up sort of being a consensus, which is a majority rule. So I, I don't know the answer. And you,
2: you still can make the jokes. It's just saying, uh, we can't say anything anymore, and then proceeding to say all the things <laughs> right. you think you can't say. You clearly think they're funny, and you can say these things, but they're just not funny in the way that Aziz did this material in a much more disarming, sensitive, shocking way, I thought. Right. Like, when I watched Aziz, I was way more seeing the craft
0: than Bill Burrs. It's like faux danger. Yeah. Right, right. Okay, out of ten,
1: what do you guys give the special?
0: Oh good question. So his latest special, Paper Tiger, I don't know man, like and by the way, like I, I like I have I whenever we come on and we sort of critique comedy or whatever it's like i do want to say like i have nothing but the utmost respect for people that can ply that trade and are as good as people like bill burr or dave chappelle like their skill level is so incredibly high that i do have a ton of respect and it, I, I can imagine if you're one of them and for some reason i don't know why they ever would stumbled upon this pod and listen to us take apart their, their special in such a flippant way when it's like he's like hey i built that bit over the course of a year and mm-hmm. did it two nights in a row at royal albert hall who are you so in some ways i always mm-hmm. feel i feel weird critiquing these things well i'm a fan i'm a fan of his you know what i kind of
2: agree with you, Mike. Ratings are stupid. Let's not do that. (laughs) But but I mean, like, come on. If if it was a Raptors game and Lowry had a poor performance, a player that you love and respect, Mm -hmm. we could say, hey, he had a bad game. We still think he's a good player.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. well, that's interesting. I mean, sports are they're not subjective there's a winner and a loser right sports are a little bit more defined when it comes to like role but i mean in terms of a game sure. so
2: i've heard people debate whether someone had a good game just p- if they got zero points and Bunch 15 of assists, assists yeah. or some rebounds or affected the game in some way but i would say it was a five out of ten for me because I, I did think about half of it was decent
0: yeah I, i'd go a little higher i'd give it like a 6.5 yeah, me too. You could talk me into a seven if I was like on the right night. But yeah, yeah that first bit, I'd be
1: a little closer to seven out of 10. It was
0: closer
2: exactly. to a six and a seven. So I actually think 6.5 is perfect. Five is like harsh. That's like this guy sucks, <laughs> which yeah. I, I think you're right. Mike.
0: Yeah, you could see a five at like an open mic night.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yuck um all right. And so, I, 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 any, anything else to wrap that up? We've done two weeks in a row of, of co- comedian sort of reviews.
1: Well, they're just massive comedians. Like, I think it's, it's important for us to talk about because we love the art form. And, you know, Dave Chappelle and Bill Burr are literally at the top of the game. And, uh, and also, comedy in 2019, as I discovered on my IG stories, you know, <laughs> it's a very uh, con- controversial subject. <laughs> it's
2: very polarizing. And it's really yeah. hard to come and do a great special when you are at the top of your game. Yeah. Because you're just mm-hmm. the the bigger you are, the more you're surrounded by an audience that just adores you, regardless of what what happens. And you know, like after mm-hmm. Chris Rock did that amazing special, he's never done anything even as close to good as that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, you know another thing Bill Burr touched on, which we talked about uh, last week's episode, was um, you know who can play what roles. I thought that bit was kind of funny.
0: Oh yeah, uh, he it also was very on that.
1: hard to listen to. But basically, it's like yeah should um because I guess Brian Cranston played a quadriplegic and people said a quadriplegic could have played it anyway he he's like it's called acting I just thought that was a funny, a funny yeah
2: that, that was a funny premise obviously not based in the reality of what people actually complain about like that's a very like funny nitpicky thing that people will complain about a non quadriplegic person playing a quadriplegic person yeah. mostly it's like when there's like millions of Asians out there who can act and the, the pool is, uh, of options is so huge and then they're getting passed over for a bigger white celebrity that's the main issue but it is funny he he did take that one tweet he probably read and Spun ran with
0: it into it. a bit yeah i speaking of bits mm-hmm. his bit on stephen hawking i found very funny yeah i yeah i like that stuff yeah that was very funny um and also because he's in england actually you know what here's something that comedians do and it, it, i i can't it's not that I dislike it a ton. I certainly don't think it adds to a performance anymore, but they all do this thing where they fake laugh between bits mm-hmm. to either like rem- mm. to either wind their stuff up. Like Chappelle does it a lot, where he'll he'll say he'll hit you with the punchline and then he kind of drops the mic and walks away. Like he holds oh, the I mic. hate that. So I he'll walk to the back of the stage, that. regroup, come back, get back into his thing. Burr kept doing it, where he'd be like, <laughs> 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 and then he would do a bit. I like you doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I'm just like I'm like I know that it's something that comedians do. It's like this sort of like it's part of the it's part of the performative nature of comedy. Or I don't know if they're just setting up their next bit or they just want to give the audience either a permission to laugh or a laugh break. But I can't help but be like, all right, all right. You know what I mean?
2: Sometimes it's used to set, like, tell the audience to settle down a little bit or fill an awkward silence. Yeah. Chappelle was doing it to like amplify the laughs and run around the room and hype people up. Yeah. And it got really irritating after about the third time, I felt like. Yeah like it was too much of that I didn't even notice the Bill Burr thing to be honest
0: yeah if if people watch it now maybe they'll notice it but I just he kept to connect bits or when he was winding up to say something maybe a little provocative he would have that little like laugh that he does Uh, we actually saw Bill live uh, at the Sony Center during Just for Laughs two years ago three years ago maybe oh Mm. he
2: had a a funny airplane bit pilot pilot voice we were loving it
0: that we were laughing so hard he had an amazing bit about like how all pilots have a great voice and he was doing the pilot voices and then he was like he did a whole thing and like as if you as if he was recording a voiceover it was fucking hilarious like just the way to stay calm in all the moments but they all sound great
2: what is interesting about that show we saw two years ago yeah so when it wasn't like in the heart of me too or whatever and he could have had the option to talk about anything he wanted to he mostly stayed away from stuff that apparently he could have talked about back then he still did more dicey stuff and all the funniest stuff was still irreverent Irreverent stuff. Yeah. So it's interesting when you can do whatever you want. It's like when Howard switched to Sirius Radio he wasn't swearing. He was, he was actually watching his language more, yeah. but when the
1: rules can't be broken, you tend to want to break them more. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I think that's a really interesting insight, uh, Shane. It's like, the, if, if the setup is too easy, then you probably ought to go to the next one. That's why none of the comedians talk about Trump really, right? Like, it's just like, what is there to say? This is like, well, it's,
2: it's such, it's such right a hack there. topic now, Trump. It's, it's ground that's mm-hmm. been covered too much. It's almost like mm-hmm. airline food or something.
0: Okay. Let's move on to our last. It's not even a subject. It's just that Shane went to Las Vegas. You were, you were on a vacation. It looked great. I was watching your Instagram stories. Yeah. I was very jealous. I was like, look at them living it up. You were by a pool. I didn't even know you could swim in September in Vegas.
2: Oh my, it's the desert. It is, it is hot all, all the time. It only actually gets chilly in Vegas late October till February. But Amazing. Other times than that, it's always ninety six. Like, uh, I'm not sure the conversion... I have no idea what 96 would be. It's like th- hot,
0: hot, hot. Is like 96, like 35? Uh, hotter. For all our Americans, we're trying to convert... Uh, uh, see, when I was growing up, the, the
2: system had just uh, switched over. So my parents would still talk in like, oh, it's 100
0: today. It's... Fahrenheit, not Celsius. Right. Yeah, yeah. I just remember the, the weather network would be on like uh, the TV in the morning and it was always Celsius. So like I knew that like 30 Celsius meant hot and that anything below like... Twelve meant you're wearing a coat, but all of September would be
2: the hottest weather you've probably ever experienced. Like our first day, you, you, like there was sand in our resort. Like they, it's a tropical themed place, so they make it make you feel like you're on a beach. You, even the pool is like a wave pool. That's cool. But if you just touched your toe on the sand, like you couldn't bear it for a second. It was sweltering, and I was I was very very worried. That we had kind of made a mistake in terms of like having our daughter who's very like fair skin But it the first day was actually just the hottest day and then everything else was amazing Like I've done a ton of trips this summer like little day trips little family resorts type places Very kid-friendly places and Vegas topped them all in terms of being baby-friendly and accommodating And making you feel like it wasn't a burden at all to have a child. Yeah. Like even places that market themselves as baby places where I find Vegas is obviously marketed as a place not to bring your kid. But at our resort, which was uh, Mandalay Bay, it was filled with people with kids and little inner tubes and swimming around. And it had a lazy river where you could just comfortably go around it at a very slow pace all day. Yeah. Which we pretty much did. All day. We just hung by the pool. It had a an aquarium like, um, what's the one in Toronto that's very famous? Ripley's. It had a Ripley's style aquarium where you walk through and you see sharks and you can walk through the casino with with your baby which is very fascinating for them to see all the lights and everything yeah. so
0: i feel like they made a concerted marketing effort like in the last decade or maybe even more to be like we're leaving money on the table if we don't make this a family-friendly place like it's almost like we need to have stuff for kids to do during the day and at night so that people can come with their families you know what I oh, mean? oh yeah as well as the degenerates and the people that just mm-hmm. want to party
2: and uh, yeah so Lucy loved it. It was great there. I don't really have, we went out every night uh, still. So we kind of did both things. Like every day we were uh, hanging by the pool, being like good parents, doing like baby voices and stuff. And then every night it was like the complete Vegas experience going to like a million bars staying out till 4am, which is very easy to do because the time difference is three hours. Yeah. So you're, you're just gaining that time. So uh, it was fun on that. And obviously the only reason we were able to do the nighttime antics was because of uh, our, my father-in-law, John. Shout out to John. He so listens to the pod. He does. Yeah, which is why I'm thanking him here. Because it, <laughs> <laughs> it is hard. to Because having a father-in-law like John, he's always, always doing so much. You got to thank him like every 10 seconds. Like, thank you, thank you. He's like... All right, guys. I'm taking you out for dinner tonight, but you're buying the next one, <laughs> and then the next dinner, he won't let you buy it either. Like it's reverse max. Like he says he's <laughs> he says he's not going to buy you something, and then he will.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, it was. Well, John loves you more than I love you, Shannon. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's
2: facts. <laughs> but yeah, it was just incredibly nice, and I suggest if you ever uh, have an opportunity to to travel with a babysitter. Take John.
0: Yeah, t- take <laughs> John, John honestly.
2: Like of you, you, could, you couldn't have a better travel companion. It was just uh, very, very nice.
0: I, uh, speaking of Mandalay Bay, I saw the Spice Girls there in uh, like 2000 and I want to mm-hmm. say eight or seven, I can't oh, remember. Yeah. And uh, I remember in the box, like Beckham was there. Cause it was all five of the Spice Girls. It was like yeah. that last tour or whatever, like the last, last tour. And then I think they've done like two since then. But, uh, and Tom Cruise was in the box with, with Beckham. At this Mandalay oh, Bay wow. performance, yeah, it was pretty cool.
2: Well, now at the at Mandalay, they have the Michael Jackson show,
0: ah, which is kind of a precarious <laughs> position for them to be in. I know you didn't you didn't post any shots of you going into that show. No,
2: no, uh, we didn't go in. Like, I don't think we would have. Like, there was other Cirque shows, but you really think like they must have been shitting their pants at how far is this documentary going to go? Can you imagine the situation you're in if you're Forget Vegas. Just all the performers around the world at any resort—they always have a, a Michael Jackson show. If you've altered your face or done any skin bleaching, whatever you've done to look like him, and then you're just like, no, no, this can't be happening. And it's not like you can just get another job, right? <laughs> so,
1: anyway, I was thinking about that a lot. Uh, on that note, actually, it was funny. Um, we were preparing for our last tour, or was it maybe getting ready for Bud Stage Show? And we've never actually covered a Michael Jackson song. Um, but uh, we've covered Jackson Five, and so we were so we were asking, we were kind of like polling, you know, various people, kind of behind the scenes, while the Michael Jackson scandal was coming out, like while the documentary came out, like this past year, we could like. I know covering Jack- Michael Jackson is probably off the table, but do the Jackson 5 fall into that jurisdiction? It was like a very funny Curb Your Enthusiasm kind of question to be asking. Because you'd be like, well, we're definitely not going to cover Beat It, but can we cover <laughs> I Want You Back? Because it's still Michael Jackson, but it was Michael Jackson, you know, as a 14-year-old. Does he count as a guy who's canceled? Like, I just like, didn't know what the rules were. It was, it was yeah. like a funny thing. What I Want You Back just sounds like very predatory, too. <laughs> But but
2: but it was sung by a kid,
1: right? So. Right.
2: I guess that was the perfect time for Michael to be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> time? <Stop. laughs> <laughs> best time to be dating, yeah. <laughs> well, it's legal then. But, uh, <laughs> but oh, sorry. I I, I wanted to um, talk about too the uh, a little pet peeve I had with Greg ripping me on. Uh, Social media and getting 31 oh. likes on a comment.
0: Yeah, this was this happened. Uh, I thought this might come up when we were talking about the E1 party. So we went to the E1 party at TIFF. Max and I posed for a uh, like a pod photo. Shane, you were invited to this party, which I made clear on the post. But Ash, Ash made sure we did like the red carpet thing and we posted a photo. Was Greg there? No. Okay. Greg's been on the road with uh, with the soccer team. He's in New York right now. I think.
2: Well, I felt like he had some drinks in him when he did
0: this because it was pretty bold. I know. I, I think he might have just been sitting in a hotel room bored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I guess you want to set it up. What did he do? Um,
2: we're talking to Max on my phone, so I can't read the comments.
0: Yeah, so what happened is I posted the photo. I said, at Boy 69 was invited, but is en route to Vegas. We recorded a pod before he left. Coming soon. Then my brother, I guess, must have saw this post and then just chimed in, Shane, so broke I need Max to buy me drinks Cunningham is vacationing in Vegas this week. Someone start the GoFundMe.
2: Yeah, and so I'm like, <laughs> okay, that's... Greg of all people doing that comment is insane to me and then it racks up 31 likes resonated with people who listen to the pod But that that makes me feel like I need to explain to the people I was not planning on going out that night I had on that podcast I had explained the reason I'm broke is because of these vacations and all these house repairs and I have a very like we we did a work project that we never ended up getting paid for so I was kind of expecting to have money also on one of the vacations I went on my head I had to cancel my credit card due to fraud so it's not like I even had a credit card to carry me over so when Max just said oh are, are you gonna come out Shane and I said no I'm broke and I meant that in the most literal way like I'm very broke and then it became like this big joke like oh uh shane has two homes and he's broke but like you're even more broke when you have two homes like (laughs) you are because you're you have no money like it's just a wise investment that might pay off 35 years down the line when the earth is just like a flaming ball you know so it doesn't even doesn't even really matter you get no benefit from doing a wise investment now so it's very hard to have fun and enjoy things when you have no money. So Max said he was going to pay, and then he didn't,
0: and then I get made fun of for it. You heard it here, folks. He, he clarified it definitively.
2: Well, and name a guy who benefits more from free things in his entire life than Greg Veerman. <laughs> <laughs> name, name one other person. Like, we know. The people who's liking that doesn't know. But it's very hypocritical and ironic. Like, the first time Greg ever bought a drink, probably, in his life for himself was at the age of 35.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's my rant, Okay. Okay. He's not, not going to like that one.
2: Well, he shouldn't be commenting publicly if he doesn't want me to comment publicly. All
0: right, we'll bring him in here, and you guys can hash out your. Let's, uh...
2: He's honestly the new nut to me, and the nut is so nice to me lately. I like love the nut.
0: <laughs> the nut is a delight. We'll, yeah. We will end this podcast uh, by I'm going to thank the nut because uh, uh, a couple of the amazing TIFF events I went to were solely because of him, uh, and I had a great time at the Renee Zellweger Judy party with him on Tuesday night. Yeah. Real great hang, classic nut hang. Love the nut. I got my hands on my